Let me say good morning. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad that you are here with us at Friendship this morning. Last week we kicked off this series. We are in the book of Jonah, this little Old Testament book about the prophet Jonah. And really it's, it's more than, I love this story because it's more than just a story about a guy who got swallowed by a big fish. It's a story of God's great love and relentless pursuit of sinful people. Man, this is a story about amazing grace is, is what it is. And so it's, it's not just a story about Jonah, this rebellious prophet. It's not just a story about Nineveh, this rebellious city. It's, a, it's all of our stories that God loves and pursues sinful people. Now, I want to give you a quick, I'm going to try to do this in two minutes, all right? Two-minute review of Jonah chapter one, which we looked at last week just to bring you up to speed. Jonah is a prophet of God, which means that God called him to speak forth his truth. And most of the time that that message of truth involved repentance. Turn from your way, turn from sin, and turn to the Lord. And so God calls Jonah to preach this message to Nineveh, this Gentile city. And Jonah wanted to have nothing to do with this. He didn't want the people of Nineveh to uh, experience God's grace. He wanted them to experience God's wrath. And so Jonah runs away. He tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. And he boards a ship to Tarshish, which is about as far away as you could get from the city of Nineveh. And yet the thing that we saw last week is that you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. That God pursued Jonah, and what he did is he, he sent a storm on the sea to redirect Jonah back to himself. And these sailors that are on this ship, were, they were innocent victims. They were collateral damage to this disobedience of Jonah. And yet Jonah, what he does is he explains that there's a way of deliverance. There's a way for you to escape or to be saved from the, the judgment of God. Throw me overboard. And the sailors, man, they resist They resist this way of deliverance, and they try to row harder, remember? But they soon find out that they can't save themselves. And so they they give in to God's means of deliverance, and they toss Jonah overboard. And what we see is that the storm stopped immediately, and the sailors' fear shifted from the storm and the circumstances around them, and it shifted towards the Lord who controls the storm And, you know, for us, what what we kind of learn in this first chapter of Jonah is is that we are sinful people, that we are in need of of rescue, but we can't save ourselves. And so we said this, that salvation comes through the sacrifice of one who was willing to be thrown into the storm of God's judgment for you and for me. And that That one willing sacrifice that was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so last week we ended chapter 1 with this old-fashioned cliffhanger. And I want to ask you to turn to to Jonah chapter 1 in your Bible, on your phones, in your sermon notes. And we're going to pick up there, Jonah chapter 1, verse number 7, where, you know, this cliffhanger at the end of chapter 1, Jonah's been tossed overboard. The storm has stopped, but here's Jonah who is presumably sinking to his death, and yet we see that God appointed this great fish to swallow him, to actually rescue him. And so if you go to Jonah chapter 1, verse number 17, here's what the scriptures say. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so what we see here is, is that Jonah is, you know, if, if, when you see that three days and three nights, if, you, if you've been in the Bible at all, that may ring a bell, right? And Jonah in this, in this moment here, he's a picture of Christ, that he was a willing sacrifice. He was willing to lay down his life to save others. And it says that he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And, and I want you to see the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 40. He's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees here. And he, he brings up this, this very incident right here in Matthew 12, 40. Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so we see Jesus reference this story. And, you know, I kind of alluded to this last week, but this is one of those stories in the Bible where skeptics or people who would kind of maybe scoff at the Bible would say, come on, do you, you really believe this, that a grown man got swallowed by a fish and was in his belly for three days and three nights? You know, I was talking to a friend, one of our men here, Jay Sermon, who preached a few weeks ago, and we're talking about this very story. And he, he said when he gets this question, one of the things he says is, well, you know, we hang our hat on a guy who, who rose from the dead. You know, and so to believe that somebody got swallowed by a fish for three days, that's no problem. Because this is a supernatural book and a supernatural God that we're talking about. We believe in the natural because we're part of the natural world. And yet God goes above and beyond. And he operates in the realm of not just the natural, but the supernatural. And so we would say that we believe the story of Jonah. It's not a... It's not a metaphor, it's not an allegory, it's a literal story of a real man who actually got swallowed by a fish. And the reason we believe that is because Jesus himself said it was so. And so this is, this is the story of, of Jonah, a picture of, of Christ. And one of the things, I don't know if you've ever thought about this when it talks about three days and three nights. When you think about Jesus, you know, we celebrate his resurrection on Easter, what, what day? Sunday, right? But then we also celebrate or we remember his death on the cross on what day? Friday, Good Friday. So have you ever thought like, like three days, three nights? It doesn't seem to add up. And I just want to talk about that for a second. Um, David Guzik, who's a theologian, I mentioned him last week. I'm going to quote him here. He says this, Do the three days and three nights of Matthew 12, 40 prove that if Jesus rose on Sunday, he must have died on Thursday instead of the traditional day of Friday? Not at all. Rabbi Eleazar ben Azariah, around the year 100 AD, said this, Jewish rabbi. He said, A day and a night make a whole day, and a portion of a whole day is reckoned as a whole day. So what David Guzik says is this demonstrates how in Jesus' day, the phrase three days and three nights did not necessarily mean a 72-hour period, but a period including at least the portions of three days and three nights. All right, it's kind of like when we would say, hey, the other day, and, you know, the older I get, the longer ago, the other day, it was like three years ago, you know what I'm saying? Um, but three days and three nights, it's not necessarily a literal 72 hours, but it was parts of three days and three nights. And so Jesus himself even references this, this story of Jonah being in the belly of the fish. And he says, just as he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will I be in the, the belly, as it were, of the earth for three days and three nights before I rise again. 
And so, you know, before we move on from this verse, I, I just want to think about this because it's so easy to just kind of skip past this and run right into chapter two. But one of the things I thought about this week as I was kind of preparing was, have, have you ever imagined what Jonah's three-day stay may have been like? Um, you know, I, I have, um, I've been traveling a lot over the last couple of months, heading to, back to Ohio to help care for my parents, Missouri to drop off my oldest son. And I kind of live on Priceline.com, okay? I don't know if any of you all use Priceline, but I'm always trying to, like, get a good deal on a hotel and, you know, a three-day stay. Um, you know, I've, I've, had some, I've had some pretty horrendous experiences, all right? I've kind of learned over the years, okay, don't just go for the cheap deal because you, you may feel like you're in the belly of the fish for a few days. But, like, imagine Jonah's three-day stay here. And, like, it's dark there's no light coming in here. It's probably kind of slimy and, and gross, and he's alone, and there's no food. He, he's kind of getting tossed about by, by, the, by the sea. I mean, and you thought your COVID quarantine was bad, right? Had nothing on, on Jonah. And, and this is kind of like when I think about it, it's almost like when you send a toddler to, to time out. Like God is just saying, Jonah, okay, I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what you've done. Right? I want you to just contemplate your actions. And, and, and God has this way of putting us in a place that sometimes is, is quiet, right? And maybe dark and alone so that he can get our attention, so that he can, he can get through to us, so that we can consider our, our ways. And here's Jonah on this three-day stay in the belly of the fish, you know, when I was growing up, one of my favorite movies was this movie called Field of Dreams. Anybody a fan of Field of Dreams? Man, I love this movie. And I don't know if you caught it this, this week, but Major League Baseball did something really, really cool. Um, they had this game at the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Iowa. All right, we got some Iowa people in the house. Um, but there's, they did this incredible incredible thing where they, they, they had the original ball field, but then they created this one for this game. And so they had this, this ball game in, at the Field of Dreams. And in the movie, and there's just a, kind of a shot of this, what a cool thing. Um, but there's this incredible line, this memorable line in the movie where the question is asked, is this heaven? And I don't know if you've see it, seen it, you, you know the response. Ray Kinsella, who's played by Kevin Costner, he responds and he said, it's Iowa, right? and, and it's just a, a, a cool scene, but I imagine Jonah having somewhat of this experience, but he wasn't asking the question, is this heaven? You know what he was probably asking? Is this hell, right? Have I, have I died and woken up in the pit of hell? What is going on here? And I just, I don't, I don't know what, I know, I think God has a sense of humor. I think he probably was like, no, this is, it's fish guts. You're just stuck in fish guts right now, all right? And I want you to think about what you've done, son. Um, but this is, this is his experience. He's in the belly for three days and three nights. And I want, you, I want us to move into Jonah chapter 2 here. And I want us to see this is Jonah's prayer. In chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And before we get, get there, I just want you to, as we go through these 10 verses, I want to read through them. But I want you to see this. There, there's kind of this this call and response that keeps happening throughout this chapter, this call and response where, where Jonah cries out to God, God rescues. Jonah cries out to God, God rescues. Jonah cries out to God, God rescues. 
So let's look at it. Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and that word means the place of the dead or often the grave. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. He says, you cast me, not not the sailors. God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look, I shall again look upon your holy temple. And what he's speaking about there, the, the temple, that was a place of God's presence. So he says, I'm going to look again upon your presence. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the foot or at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And so you sense that Jonah is, he's sunk to the bottom and he's surrounded by the depths and the weeds and And yet he says this, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you again into your holy temple, into your presence, into your very ears. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so again, you see this, this call and response. Jonah cries out to the Lord and it cries out to God and God rescues. And so what I want to do is I'm going to kind of go back through that a little bit. And I just want to see these instances of this call of Jonah and the response of God. So Jonah cries out to God. I want us to see it again. Verse number one. Verse number one, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And and here's what I want to say as we're we're looking at this. Jonah cries out to God. You know, we've all been through our, 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 our situations and our circumstances in life where we feel like we're in distress and we're at the, we're at the, the bottom, rock bottom. And it's, it's not unusual for us to cry out, right? For us to cry out in frustration or for us to cry out in anger or for us to cry out in confusion. But Jonah di- didn't just cry out. Jonah cried out to the Lord. He cried out to God. It's one thing to just air our frustration and air our disappointment and air our anger. But Jonah cried out to God. Verse number one, he prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Verse number two, he said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Verse number four, if you drop down there. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look. Which direction? Upon your holy temple, I'm looking to you. He's crying out to the Lord. Verse number seven, when my life was fainting away. Man, I thought it was at the end. He says, I remembered who? The Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy 
temple. And so Jonah, in the midst of his distress, when he hit rock bottom, he cried out, but he cried out to God. He cried out to God. And Jonah went from running to repentance. All right, and, and, and I use this word, we talk about this word repentance a lot. It's a biblical word, but it really, it's a simple idea. It means to, to have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. And so repentance, it's, it's, it's not just about words, although it includes words to God, but it's, it's, it's also about actions. It's also about movement. It's changing your mind that leads to a change of direction. So what you see from Jonah is you see him praying to the Lord, but you see the direction of his life changing. So it's one thing to say, God, I repent of my sins. God, forgive me. I'm sorry for doing this. And then 12 hours, 24 hours, a day, two days, a week later, doing the exact same thing. And so you can look at a life and go, was that really repentance? No, because you may have said some words, but your life didn't change direction. But what you see from Jonah is there was a crying out to God. He stopped running from God, and he was running to God in repentance. And he's crying out to the Lord here. So Jonah cries out to God, and then the response is, Jonah cries out to God, God rescues. Jonah cries out to God, say this with me, God rescues. This is always the pattern. So I want you to look at Jonah chapter 2, verse number 2 again. Here's what he said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he what? He answered me. I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, out of the belly of the grave, I cried, and you what? You heard my voice. You heard me. When I cried out, you answered. You heard my voice. Verse number six, he says, I was at the bottom, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's almost this picture of like, I'm in prison, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point of death here, yet you brought up my life from the pit, oh Lord my God. So Jonah cries out to God, and God what? He rescues. You know why Jonah was, was so confident in calling out to the Lord when he was in distress, when he found himself at the roots of the mountains in the depths you know why he was so confident that he could call out to the Lord and that the Lord would respond? It's, it's because of what he knew about who God was. Remember that verse? I'm going to go back to it. Jonah 4, verse 2. The, the reason that he ran away from the Lord when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, it's because he knew that God would forgive. He knew the character of God. Jonah verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For here's, here's what I knew about you. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God is a gracious and merciful God, that he's compassionate and forgiving, and he knew he would forgive the people of Nineveh that he hated. And yet that's the very same reason that in the midst of the depths, 
that Jonah felt confident that he could call out, that he could cry out to the Lord and that he would rescue him because he knew. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I know that's who you are, so I know I can cry out to you when I find myself at my lowest point. And so Jonah cries out to God and God rescues. And then in verse 9, what you see here is we kind of look at this verse again, that Jonah, his, his ultimate realization and his declaration of triumph comes in, in verse number 9. When he makes this declaration, he says, salvation belongs to who? The Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He is the one who owns it. It belongs to him. And if you want it, if you want to be saved, if you want to be rescued, you've got to go to the one who owns it. It belongs to him. No one and nothing else can save you. Nothing else can rescue you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and, and you know what? This was, this was the message that God was calling him to preach to Nineveh. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So turn from your ways and turn to the Lord. And yet in the life of Jonah, he comes to realize, he comes face to face with this reality that that's not just a message for those sinners over there. That's a message for the sinner right here. That salvation belongs to the Lord and that I can cry out to him and he is a gracious God and merciful and he will forgive and he will rescue Salvation belongs to the Lord. And let's look at verse 10. There's just a little side note that I want to see here. In verse number 10, it says, As the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Of course, this is just a great verse, right? He's in the belly of the fish, and just I love the colorful language from God. Like He doesn't just like drop him out on the dry land. He just like gets like thrown up, vomited onto dry land. And I would say this, like God's way of rescue isn't, doesn't always look the way that we want it to, right? It's not always clean and tidy and, you know, happens in a moment. Man, this was this process and he gets spit out onto dry land. And, you know, it sounds strange, but this, 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 this moment here of, of Jonah getting, you know, he's like a projectile, right, onto dry land. This is actually like a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jonah, after laying down his life for sailors who, uh, to, to appease the, the wrath of, of God, he was buried in, in, in the depths, he says, in Sheol for three days and three nights, but death could not hold him, Right? This is, this is the, the story of, of Jesus, that though he laid down his life, that he sacrificed his life on the cross for your sin and for mine, and he was hung on the cross to pay the penalty, he was buried in the earth for three days and three nights, and yet death could not hold him. He was raised from the dead. And so we see this, this again, a picture of, of the resurrection here but so, so, so let's talk about this, this story. Jonah chapter 2. For us, what does this mean? What can we learn? What can we take away? How does this apply to us in, in our lives in 2021? 
Well, we're, we're people that are always in need of rescue, right? We always need salvation. And so uh, just a couple thought, a few thoughts here. When we need rescue, we can cry out to God. When we need rescue, we can cry out to God. You know, so, so think, of, think about the times in your life when you cry out. Uh, what are the circumstances that cause you to, to, to call out or to cry out? Uh, just like Jonah, verse number one, he said, I'm in distress. You know, when we find ourselves in distress, man, life is, there's troubling things going on in our life. That's when we, we call out or cry out. Uh, like Jonah, the, the times when we cry out are when we are at our lowest point, right? When we find ourselves at what feels like rock bottom. Like Jonah in, in verse number seven, he said, my life is, is fainting away. Uh, like, have you ever felt like, man, your life, you're just, you're losing hold of everything. Like things are slipping out of your grasp. These are the times when we cry out. And yet when we need rescue, we can cry out to God because he hears and he cares and he loves and, and our cries come into his holy temple. And so we can turn to him in desperation. We can turn to him in repentance because he hears our every cry. And so when we need rescue, I mean, let's, let's not cry out to social media world. First and foremost, let's cry out to the God who, who hears and who cares and who can actually rescue us. When we need rescue, we can cry out to God. When we need rescue, vain idols, just, they're not going to cut it. They won't do. And I'm referencing verse number eight here in the middle of this prayer of, of Jonah. It's kind of almost like this, this little parenthesis, like in the middle of his prayer, it's almost like he's got a little, like he's got a little preaching moment. Okay. I always love when, when preachers are, are praying and they start like, I forgot a mess. I forgot a point in my message. So I'm going to pray it into my message. I feel like that's what Jonah is doing. Oh, let me, let me declare something here. Verse number eight. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And so what is the deal here? Why does, why does Jonah insert this little thought into this prayer? Well, so he's talking about vain idols. An idol, if you remember in the Old Testament, an idol was something like a golden calf or something that the people of Israel would worship instead of God. And idols look a little different for us, but sometimes they're things, sometimes they're relationships, sometimes they're things that we are pursuing. But an idol is anything that takes the place of, of God. And so it may be something bad. It may be something sinful. It may be something good. The way that Tim Keller puts it, he says, when, when good things become ultimate things, or the way I, I sometimes say it is that, you know, a, when a good thing becomes a God thing, you know, good things in your life can become an idol. A spouse, your kids, your job, they're, they're good things that can become an idol. When we, when we cling to or we worship something above the Lord our God, we've made an idol. And what, what Jonah says here in essence, he says this, if you cling to 
or you worship anything that, that, that makes you, you know, may help you or comfort you other than God, what you have done is you have actually turned away from the only one who can actually save you. You've turned to a vain, empty idol who doesn't love you and cannot rescue you. And so when we need rescue, vain idols won't do. They won't do. And I can see in Jonah as he's reflecting and he's contemplating his life, his, his life and his path. You know what he's doing? He's going, man, that's what I was doing. I was running from the Lord. I was running my own way. I was running after vain idols. And he said, when you do that, what you do is you actually forsake your hope of steadfast love. You're running away from the Lord, the one who can actually rescue. And so when we need rescue, vain idols, they won't do. Nothing else and no one else can save us. Here's one more kind of application for us. When we need rescue, Jesus is our Savior. When we need rescue, Jesus is our Savior. And I just want to focus on that word Savior for a moment because, you know, in church that can be just such commonplace terminology. We talk about our Lord and Savior, and we, sometimes it just, it just becomes commonplace in our language, and we forget what that word actually entails. This is one who saves, one who rescues. And I want you to see Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. This is the Lord, the, the God, Jehovah God of Israel speaking here, and he makes this declaration about himself. He says, I, I am the Lord, Jehovah God, and besides me, there is no Savior. And, and when you move into the, the New Testament, uh, we see often that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is referred to as Savior. And so we see throughout the scriptures that God the Father is referred to as Savior. We see Jesus the Son is referred to as Savior. And both, are the, both of these are appropriate because, because we know and we see that all three persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, are involved in, in salvation, involved in rescuing us. Let me show you one more verse or series of verses. This is an incredible series of scriptures here. Titus 3, verses 4 to 7. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And so Titus speaking about, or so he's speaking about God our Savior here. Verse number 5, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of who? The Holy Spirit. So he's talking about God the Father, our Savior, through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who washes us clean and regenerates our dead soul. Verse number six, whom he poured out on us richly through whom? Through Jesus Christ, our what? Our Savior, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so God is, is our Savior. Jesus is the one who saves us. And, and, and this isn't just a, a one-time saving Jesus wants to save us 
from every mess that we find ourselves in. Not just to save us from, from an eternity separated from him, though he wants to do that. But man, in your everyday struggle, in your everyday highs and lows, Jesus wants to come to your rescue. We cry out to God and God rescues. The point is that God alone saves. We only receive. You know, on Wednesday night, um, we, we kicked off youth for the year, our youth ministry. And this is just a little plug for those who may have students in grades 6 through 12 um, or those that may be a, a student. Um, we kicked off youth. I'm, I'm leading our youth ministry for this season, for this uh, this school year, we're praying for who God would, would bring in to lead our youth ministry. But I have a background in youth ministry, spent a lot of my, my years serving in youth ministry. Um, God changed my life when I was a, uh, a 16, almost 17-year-old high school student. So, uh, man, I, I, I love the next generation. And so we kicked off youth on Wednesday night. And what we did was is, um, we, we came in here, and, and I simply, after we did, did some singing and some worship, um, I shared my story. I shared my testimony, and I talked about, for, many of you have heard it. Uh, I won't tell the whole thing right now, but um, long story short, I didn't grow up in church, knew nothing about Jesus or the Bible, but I came to a summer youth camp at the invitation of a high school friend and classmate. And at that youth camp in that summer of 1992, I heard the good news of the gospel for the first time. The first time that I ever heard that I could actually cry out to God and that God would actually hear me and that God actually had the power to pull me up out of the depths and to rescue me from the pit. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that. And I was, my mind was, was spinning and I didn't understand it all. But you know what I did that week? July 15th, 1992, I cried out to God and you know what God did in my life? God rescued. He saved me. Uh, I didn't, again, I didn't fully get it. And all I did was I mustered up as much faith as I could, which was about this much. And I cried out to God. And God did something miraculous in my life. He saved me from my sin. He rescued me. And, and I sat here on a stool on Wednesday night and I shared that story with students and my whole point, other than telling them about this God who saves, was to say, hey, this is a school year where God could use you to be like that friend who invited me to church. That 30 years later, it's actually 29 years later, um, a couple weeks ago, 29 years later, here's this 40-year-old guy still talking about my high school friend who invited me to church. Why? Because God did something miraculous through that little invitation. And, and, and he could have lived for himself that year, but that junior year of high school, man, I think his mission was to, was to share the good news of the gospel with me. And, and he did that just through his friendship and, and bringing me to church. And so I, I shared this story, and I was trying to encourage and challenge our, our students to, to live for Christ this year. And so we got done, and we, we sang another song of, of worship, and everyone filed out of the room, and everyone went over there to eat and hang out and have fun. And yet there was young, one young man who stayed plastered to a seat right over here. He came in late, and uh, he just sat by himself, and he, he was, man, he was dialed in, and he was listening, and 
Um, everyone else left, and he stayed right there. And I think Gracie came by, and she's like, there's a, there's a dude over there. He's, he came in late, and I looked over, and he's just, man, he's sitting there. And the room is cleared out, and here's, here's this young man, Hayden, who was sitting right over here. And so I sat down with him and just started to talk to him. And, and uh, we just, we were, you know, hey, what brought you here? And he's, man, I felt like God just wanted me to be here tonight. I hope it wasn't too late to get here. So I, I came and, um, and we just started talking. And where are you at? What's God doing in your life? And in the course of this conversation, um, come to realize that Hayden is, is, is like Jonah in this moment. That he's trying to make sense of his life, but man, he's just at this point where he, he doesn't know which way to go. And, and so, you know what we did in that moment? Hayden cried out to God. And you know what God did? God rescued. God saved his soul. Hayden gave his life to Jesus Christ on that night and changed his life forever. And that that God who rescued Jonah is the same God who rescued me, is the same God who rescued Hayden, is the same God who will rescue you when you cry out to him. He is that same God. He is a gracious God of rescue. This is who he is. And if you cry out to him, Wherever you're at, whatever your need is, God will hear. Your cry will come into his holy temple, into his presence. He will hear. He will answer. He will rescue you. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Maybe today is a day for you to to cry out to him. Maybe you've never called out to him before to forgive you of your sins. Man, we would, I would love to sit down with you. One of our leaders, one of our folks would love to sit down with you and talk about that if you have questions. Maybe today is a day where you would cry out to him for the very first time to rescue you. Or maybe you just find yourself at a point of distress. Maybe you're at your lowest point today and you just need to cry out to God, the one who hears, the one who comes to your rescue. Maybe today you just need to repent or turn away from something or some sin in your life. You can cry out to him and he will hear and he will respond. Whatever it might be, I want you to remember today that he is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. If you cry out to God, God will rescue. In just a moment, we're gonna, I'm gonna give you a moment to, to cry out to God, and we're gonna sing a, a song, a new song called Make Room, which is really a song of surrender. It's a, it's a call to stop pushing Christ to the edges of, of our life, barely leaving him any room in our, our lives while we live for other things. It's, it's a call to make room for him, to do whatever he wants to do in us. And so, I want to ask you to stand with us just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed still. I want you to have a moment with the Lord 
Maybe this is a moment for you to cry out to him. Maybe this is a moment to thank him that he is a God of rescue. But as we sing in just a moment, maybe we want to cry out. God, we want to make room for you to do whatever it is that you want to do in us. Whatever you want to do in me, whatever you want to do through me, God, I want to give you the space to do that. And so would you have a moment of worship with the Lord?